0: Mac Power Users Episode Six Hundred and Thirty Five Workflows with Allison Sheridan. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks. I am your host, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Stephen Hackett. How are you today, Stephen? I'm good, David. How are you? Oh man, it's so fun making Mac Power Users and doing this show every week. I'm having a great time. Good. What a great day. We got nice another weather good weather here. We're having good weather. It's all all good, brother. It's all good. And we got a friend on the show today. Welcome to the show, Allison Sheridan. Hello, gentlemen. How are you? Allison, I was looking because you've been a friend of mine since before Mac Power Users existed. I don't think you've ever been on the show before.
1: You know, I was trying to remember that. I thought you said I had been once, but maybe I dreamt it. Yeah, after I mean, six hundred thirty-five episodes. Okay, I'm glad you thought I was worthy by now. Well, we
0: we wrote that down one day when you and I were at MacWorld. I said, "And when we get if we get to six thirty-five, then we'll put out (laughs) Allison." Well, if you don't know Allison, Allison is over at Podfeet. She's uh, been podcasting longer than the Mac Power Users has been in existence. How many shows you got over there now, Allison?
1: Uh, Oh, I should know that off the top of my head. It's more than eight hundred. I know that uh, it's been going for seventeen years. Without missing an episode, it'll be, sorry, it'll be 17 years in May. Without missing an episode, and it comes out every single week.
0: Yeah, and you do it on the weekend, and uh, it's a great show. Uh, 882,
1: almost 900.
0: Yeah, that's nice. I was looking the other day, I've got a bunch of, when I add up all my shows, I have published a lot of podcasts in my time (laughs) in the chair. I, I do think that that every week thing becomes a burden, though, right, at some point.
1: Yeah, so I also do uh, a series called Chit Chat Across the Pond, and it's sort of—I would never have invented this way, but it's—it's it's, uh, two shows. It's Chit Chat Across the Pond Light, which is me interviewing people I find interesting in tech, and then the other half of it is Programming by Stealth with Bart Bouchat's, where we're doing a programming podcast in an audio podcast, which sounds really crazy, mm-hmm. but it's actually working. And uh, the the light Chit Chat Across the Pond is the one that I like better because. It hasn't. It has missed weeks, and once I realized it had missed weeks, I went, "Oh, okay. If I feel like it, I will, but I don't always do it. It, I, it comes out pretty often, yeah. but you know, maybe three times a month."
2: It's like getting the first scratch on a new car. It's like, okay, now I can breathe. It's, <laughs> it's okay.
1: Actually, I lied about three times a week, it, a month. It's a, it's every other week, so it might be one or two per month because programming by stealth is the opposite one. Very confusing, but yeah, very much like the first scratch.
0: And we had a, a few times where Katie couldn't make it, or if you times not Stephen couldn't make it. And I haven't missed an episode of Mac Power Users yet, and it's starting to feel like a weight around my neck. <laughs> you <know>? it's like <laughs> like we got like family stuff come out. No, I really have to get this recorded. I can't. I can't make this the one that I miss. And, uh, so. <laughs> I,
1: I don't want to lie though. I have not always been the host of every show. When I go on vacation, usually Bart Shots and um, uh, uh, Alistair Jenks take over. Okay. And uh, actually, Katie has done the show before. She did sure. it a couple of times, and uh, and a couple other people. So yeah, it's it's not always me, but the show has never missed.
0: The show must go on. Exactly. Well, Allison, how how did you get started with? Well, actually, before we get started on talking to Allison, we do have a couple of announcements this week. Uh, on more power users today, Stephen received delivery of a very pretty white apple box with a heavy uh, box looking device inside of it you got your so you got your new <laughs> mac right
2: yeah i spent all weekend setting up my mac studio and i've got some some early impressions we can talk about for members uh, spoiler yeah. alert it's very good
0: yeah i'm sure <laughs> it is i'm not sure i might i might actually tune out for that section just mm. let steven talk it might not be good for me to be present for that um, <laughs> The um, but we're gonna do that for more power users today I am doing a a webinar. I've been trying to do one about every six weeks. Uh, So I've got one scheduled for April 21st. It's all about calendar workflows. I've been uh, talking on the show lately about all the crazy stuff I'm doing with my calendar. Um, We've been working on it in the labs and a bunch of labs members. And I have given me feedback and I've got some good workflows for the calendar. So it's going to be April 21st at 10 a.m. The initial batch of emails went out. I thought it was on a 24-hour clock, but it wasn't. So it went out at 10 p.m. It's not 10 p.m. It's 10 a.m., guys, of <laughs> course. So April 21st, 10 a.m. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. You can sign up for that webinar if you want to check it out. But Allison, uh, how did you get started with your interest in Apple?
1: Oh, okay. Um, actually, in 1984, our friend Calvin Yoon bought a 128K Mac, and he asked us to come over to his house and see it and uh it wasn't actually me who thought that's what we got to have it was my husband steve yeah. and uh so we ended up buying the 512k uh mac and, and had so much fun with it there was basically never any decision beyond that hmm. faltered a little bit during the terrible years, <laughs> you know, bought a used Mac from a friend of mine, didn't quite get my nerve up to buy another new one. Uh, but luckily rode that wave out and uh, and never looked back. I, I never had a Windows machine in my house other than something I brought home from work. So it's been all Mac, all, all Apple all the time.
0: It, it was such, a, I mean, for people who are younger, it, I really can't understate the difference between the Mac and everything else at the time. It was like night and day.
1: I can describe that really well in just a little tiny nugget here. We had uh, compact computers at work with um, actual like tape, or, like cassette tapes that you wrote things on. And I was trying to write a, a Pascal program, and I was really struggling with it and trying to get it to work. And then they brought a Mac into my office, and I put the same program in, and it put a bug on the screen, like a bug. You know, yeah. like with legs and everything, mm-hmm. next to the line that was wrong, and I went, "Oh, there it is!" And I thought, "Well, that's a different way to do it, isn't it?"
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll always I've said this on the show before, but for me, it was the system preferences when you because everything was command line. So, like, if you wanted to change the key press speed, you had to figure out the command line, you know, incantation. And with this, it was a tortoise and a hare, and I'm like, oh, "Okay, these guys get it." And and that was like the beginning of the computer revolution, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, people that had IBM PCs, even Apple Twos, you had to be, you had to have like an inherent inherent nerd level to do that stuff, because everything was command line. And, and we're also, not against
1: the nerd level. No, right? I'm not. I mean, but we it, embrace
0: it. it, but, it but, but for everybody to embrace computers, it took the the user the graphical user interface. And uh, I remember at the time the big battle was the folks who uh, who said who said we don't need the GUI. You know, it's like, oh, no, it's okay. We can all do command line. We don't need this craziness, right? <laughs>
1: My brother said we never need a mouse. What would we yeah. need a mouse for? Mm-hmm. It's
0: always something. It's always, We don't need the touch interface. We don't need, you know, whatever it is, we don't need it anymore.
1: I do have to say, though, when the 512K Mac was out and everybody was using it, and we'd gone to the Mac Plus and everything, people started saying we needed a bigger screen. And I said, why would you ever need a bigger screen than that? Yeah, that's no. that's unnecessary. And yeah. why would you ever need color? Yeah. I don't see
0: it. <laughs> I was always a retina guy. I was always more about pixel density than color. And and at the time there were monitors that were higher density, but but single color. And I would that would be it for me. And uh, uh the, the even to go further back, and I'm I'm sure it, I think I'm even boring Stephen at this point. But um, <laughs> I actually learned a program on a Tandy color computer, which was not mine it was in, in the radio shack and i would ride my 10 speed i was like 10 or 11 and they had it on the floor and i would sit there for like four hours a day in It's like i worked there you know <laughs> and then when the the customers would come in the guys would say hey dave you got to get up and i'd get up and then they'd show them the program i wrote you know and it had 4k of memory and then they came out with the 8k version and we're like why would you need 8k <laughs> You know, yeah. Anyway. Okay. Enough of that. So (laughs) you've been, you've been, uh, you've been into the, into the, the max since day one. Um, what did you do? I mean, what were your thoughts during those, you know, the mid nineties where things were looking a little rough?
1: You know, if I had known how bad it was, (laughs) I would have had completely different thoughts. I mean, to know now they were like within weeks of bankruptcy. I had no idea. Yeah. I, I was just really annoyed by the confusion. Uh, you know, there were so many models and you just you couldn't figure out what to buy, what the difference was between them. Um, I never really considered buying a PC and I didn't, uh, like I said, I didn't understand exactly how much the company was faltering. So um, it wasn't, there was no emotion about it other than annoyance that I couldn't figure out what to buy and I wasn't sure, you know, that, like I said, that's why I bought a buddy of mine's used, uh, used Mac at the time.
0: But at some point you went from Apple user enthusiast to um podcaster. And you know, I will I say press. I mean, you you began covering Apple. And that's, you know, eight hundred and ninety episodes ago when you got started with PodFeed. How did that happen?
1: I'm not really a news podcaster. Yeah. Um I leave that to, to everybody else. Um uh, I do more technical descriptions and, and, uh, teaching about apps and how they work and, and things I've learned how to do on my Mac, you know, programming stuff, terminal stuff. Um, that's a little bit more of my bent. Um, and I also have a pretty big focus on accessibility. So when I test out an app, I often test it with voiceover, for example, to find out whether it's, it's accessible. Um, I got into it because I found that I was just stopping people everywhere in you know in grocery store lines telling them what I knew, and I thought when I heard about podcasting, I thought, "Wow, it might be interesting to to do it to people who chose to listen to me yeah <laughs> it didn't stop me from doing it at the grocery store lines, of course but uh it it was something that sounded like fun um around the time that uh I started, my brother Kelly passed away and, and uh, Kelly was one of these people who would just do stuff, you know? Like he lived in Hawaii on the big island and he thought, you know what? I think I'll, I'll buy property in Kauai and I'll build an organic farm. And he just went and did it. And, and I could hear him saying, as I would, was rolling around the idea of maybe I could start a podcast. He would just, he said, you know, just, just do it, man. Just, just, you know, Nike all over that. So and, true. Uh, yeah. and so I did. And, um, that was in May of twenty two thousand five. 2005 and my show has evolved completely, which is, which I think is a lesson is just start, you know, see if you've got the run room and, and it, it hopefully make a really bad first episode or first. 10 episodes, because then you can look back at them and laugh. I know some people, these guys do this show called Eye Bites, and they've only done like three episodes. Their first episode, they've killed it. And I told them, I said, that's a terrible mistake. You know, yeah. <laughs> you're know, you not going to be able to go back and laugh at that one at all.
0: Yeah, Katie and I, uh, we shared on the show, when we recorded the first episode of Mac Power Users, we finished the entire show. And then I said, hey, you want to do that again? And she's like, yes. <laughs> and so the very <laughs> first episode of Mac Power Years actually was recorded twice. But the, uh, yeah, so I think there's something to that. Also, the nice thing is when you get started in kind of this new content world, usually you don't, the stakes aren't real high when you get started. So it's okay if you, you flub things up and make some mistakes, you just... uh you just learn as you go along, you know, kind of build the parachute on the way down, as they say.
1: Yeah, I I, I do remember distinctly one one specific event. I did four episodes. I used to go to the uh, All Things Digital conference from the Wall Street Journal, sure. and so my my second, third, and fourth episodes were about that conference and what I learned. And, and like you know, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates were there that year, so it was it was a big year to get to do that. Um, but I. I pod faded. I stopped. So when I say seventeen years, it's after this this couple of week gap. And uh, a guy named Neil uh, sent, wrote to me, and he said, "Where's the podcast?" Hmm. And I didn't. It was the first time anybody told me they were they were actually listening, and I, I was hooked. That was it. From that day forward, I never missed an episode.
0: You do feel that pressure. Uh, Daisy and I have a little side project where we're doing some vlogging at Disneyland, and somebody wrote wrote us recently saying, you know, I keep checking. You guys haven't put anything up for like a month, you know? And it's like, oh man, now I'm feeling <laughs> it on that too.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I had a, a, a deafblind guy write to me. My podcast is actually scripted. So I write yeah. these enormous blog posts uh, and uh, I write about 5,000 words a week. And uh uh then that becomes the episode. All of those uh blog posts put together. And I got an email once from a deafblind guy and he told me he said, I have a Mac mini and a, a braille display and I read your your blog and so never stop doing it. Please never contact me. Goodbye. <laughs> like he didn't want to engage. He just wanted me to know he was there. And I yeah. imagine he's still there. I, yeah. He may or may not be, but I imagine that he is, and I will always keep doing those blog posts for him.
2: It's always this interesting trade-off right once you start getting feedback from an audience because i found over the years sometimes an audience may want to pull you in one direction or another and it's up to you as the creator to see if that's actually what you should do or not sometimes it is good feedback that you should uh, listen to and make adjustments for and other times it's changes something into something you don't want to make and i always find those moments interesting to consider kind of where things are and, and where they should go
1: I love that you brought that up Stephen that I definitely think a lot about uh, a lot of podcasters I know do do a survey I'm never doing a survey I don't want to do what they want to do I want to do what I want to do and you know if you if I don't have it up with a huge audience that's okay I I I can't do something I'm not passionate about I've had people make suggestions I'm like yeah that's really adorable why don't you go make that podcast I don't want to this is what i'm doing i'm having fun i love what i'm doing i write about what i'm what i'm passionate about and if i'm not passionate it's just going to stink
0: well one of the nice things about any degree of success in this stuff is anything you do you'll get email telling you how great it was and how bad it was <laughs> so um every anybody who has ever written me to complain about something or tell me how great something is i guarantee you I've received email on the inverse of that and after a <laughs> while you don't you just don't pay that close of attention to it uh, because you just make what you want to make, you know, you make your thing and you hope that that resonates with people. I, and, I'm and with you. but You can't, but I, you I can't do keep think there going is,
1: forever. Like I, this, this, yeah. this, this wheel turning, you can't keep it turning. If you're doing stuff, you're not passionate about or yeah. not being allowed to do something you are passionate about.
0: So yeah. Another thing I think people get in trouble with when they try and do this stuff is if they try to play a role and mm. you can't sustain that. I mean, when you listen to the show, I mean, between the three of us, we've got, I don't know, a couple thousand episodes under our belt. Right. Um, the, um, you can't play a role. You just got to be who you are. And people either like that or they don't like that. But it's, you know, I, I think that, you know, like if you're an actor and you're in a movie, you play a role. But when you're on a podcast, you just got to be yourself. It's, it's too stressful to try and be anything but yourself.
1: My favorite piece of of criticism I ever got was a comment on on a on one of my posts that that basically just slammed me and said how terrible the show was. And I, I thought about it for a while, and I wrote back and I said, you know, I, I'm sorry you don't like it, but you know what? I know a bunch of really good podcasters, and I listed off all of my Mac podcaster buddies from the from the Mac Roundtable. I said, let's let's get all of those. Here's all these different podcasts.
0: And the guy wrote back, "Oh no, I never miss an episode." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know. Well, it is a strange uh, it's a strange world, but you got in it early. I mean, you got it into the days where you were manually creating your RSS feed, which uh makes me laugh. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. that was so funny. Um Leo Laporte had started um the it wasn't Twit. Was it Twit? I forget. It must have been Twit. And um and I took his RSS feed and I read it and tried to learn how to make one of my own. So I it's it you know, the syntax is pretty simple and yeah. I and I started going through and picking it apart and figuring it out. And I got to the one point where every episode is called an item. And so you got little angle brackets item, close angle brackets item. And inside that, there's a bunch of information like title and episode number and whatever, you know, what kind of type of file it is. Is it an MP3 or whatever? But then there was one line that said size. And it was this long number, like like 12 digits or 14 digits. It was this great big number. And sat there looking at it going, what is that number of seconds? What the heck is it? Turns out it's bytes. Yeah, <laughs> but
0: bites. but that was
1: the level of thing that how I was hacking this together with a uh, you know a chisel and a stone back then.
0: <laughs> yeah, but you know you stuck it out and and you've got a great show and a, a, a loyal audience and and hopefully some of the Mac Power users will go check out PodFeed as well. Thanks. I, a,
1: a big part of the audience for me and I don't remember I, I talked about this in my preamble to you guys is that uh, I do my show live on Sunday nights at uh, five p.m. Pacific time and the, having the live show changed everything for me because there's a a group of people who come every week and, and then, you know, the people change over the years, uh, but they get together as a community with each other and they're supportive. And they like, there's two guys that both have MS and they met each other in there, got to know each other and helping each other and stuff. And, you know, it's not a, uh, it's not a one-way thing anymore. It's not Allison sitting alone in front of a microphone, which is really hard, which is why I scripted. It. Uh, but it's, it's a group of people watching me make the show. It's not the show. It's the making of the show. And it, it changed everything. I've made lifelong friends that I've met in real life now uh, through, through doing the show live. It, that made every difference to me.
2: This episode of Mac Power Users is made possible by Text Expander. Get your team communicating faster so they can focus on what's most important. With Text Expander, your team's knowledge is at their fingertips. Get your whole team on the same page by getting info out of silos into the hands of everyone that needs to use it. With Text Expander, you can share your team's knowledge across departments so your team is sending a unified message to your customers and isn't spending time reinventing the wheel. Here's how it works store it. Keep your company's most used emails, phrases, messaging, URLs, and more right within TextExpander. Then share it. Get your whole team access to all the content they need to use every day. Organize it by department and then expand it. Deploy the content you need. with a few keystrokes on any device across any app you use. It's that easy. TextExpander is available on Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. And show listeners get 20% off their first year. Go to TextExpander.com slash MPU to learn more and sign up or click the link in the show notes. Once again, that's TextExpander.com slash MPU for 20% off your first year of TextExpander. My thanks to TextExpander for their support of the show and Relay FM.
0: All right, Allison, are you still rocking that 1984 or was I go 1985 that the Mac 512 came out? I think it was. yeah, uh, yeah. no,
1: no, sadly, that ha- we have moved on. Um okay. i I have the uh, m one max fourteen inch MacBook pro, and i I tried for a while having two Macs, and I just found it really tedious and annoying. I want everything exactly the same everywhere. And I know today with all the cloud services and everything, that's a lot easier and things sync and everything, but I don't see why to have a separate device. So I've got, a, um, I've got that hooked up to uh, a Pro Display XDR because my husband is nuts and bought it for me for Christmas a year and a half ago. And uh, so now I have 32 inches there and my 14-inch screen. And I, I, I just moved from the 16-inch, by the way, down to 14. Could not be happier going from 16 down to 14.
0: Okay, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, first, uh, uh, the move from the 16 to the 14, What what prompted that?
1: It's too heavy. I mean, it's got a beautiful display, but it's a desktop practically to me. It was, I I, I carry, I travel a lot. Well, under normal circumstances, I could travel a lot. And carrying a, a 15 or 16 inch laptop in my backpack has been a burden over the years. And I always thought I couldn't give it up. And 13 just seemed too small. So when 14 came out, I thought, all right, let me give it a whirl. And now my laptop actually leaves my desk it never left my desk. I mean, unless I I left the house, it never left the desk. It was always plugged into the dock and now the laptop comes and goes
0: all over the house with me. Yeah, I'm kind of facing a similar dilemma cuz I have the 16 as well. And I bought the 16 because I do a lot of screencast recording and because of my situation in the house with the kids, COVID, yada yada, I'm moving around a lot. Like sometimes I record in the bedroom, sometimes I record at my studio desk and so I'm always moving around, and I wanted a wider, uh, more screencast-friendly screen. Mm-hmm. But I've, I've, for the first time in many years, this has been my single Mac since I guess October of last year. And I've taken a few trips, and this thing is such a burden when you travel because it's like an expensive computer, and I'm totally freaked out. I'm going to get it broken or lost or whatever. It doesn't. And the even new
1: one fit. weighs even more. It yeah. weighs more than yours.
2: I mean, yeah, they've, it's, they've beefed up a little bit.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, And it doesn't even fit in my backpack properly. Right. So it's like does it, I'm worried it, about It doesn't fit the, the safe at the hotel. Yeah. Does it doesn't <laughs> fit anywhere. So I don't know what I'm going to do, but yeah, I kind of get that. But it's, so you, did you buy an M1 MacBook Pro 16 inch and then downgrade to 14?
1: No, no. I had, I had the 2019 uh, Intel Core, okay. or what it would be, i7, yeah. i9, whatever the top of the line was at the time. And yep. then I went to the M1 Max and I, I bought the M1 Max not because that's what I needed, but it was like, oh, it just came out as the greatest thing I ever pushed about button, hurry. Push yeah, it. Yeah, I
0: know. I know. I have I know. no idea
1: if I needed it. You know, I, mean, I do a lot of screencasting too. And, uh, I don't know how to screencast without two displays. So I'm not quite sure how the 16 helps you. If I'm doing something remote, I've got a, um, uh, a little Cocoa par USB-C display. It's a 15 inch, you know, yeah. terrible resolution. It's like 10 p. It's nasty, but, it, but I use that on the side or I use my uh, 12.9 inch
0: iPad pro as the external, the secondary monitor. Sure. The, um, and then the, well, the, the, the thing that it helps is that it's the wide, it, it it's closer to 16 by nine, you know, right on the screen. But now, the other thing you said is that you're using the 14-inch screen plus the Pro Display XDR.
1: Yeah, a lot of people dock their or you know put it in clamshell mode, and I yeah. don't know why. Why wouldn't you want another 14-inch display? Desk space, maybe?
0: Yeah, desk space also, I find it harder to focus on the little one with the big one. I mean, I just don't be able I've tried to set it up to get together, and because the big screen is so big the the laptop screen is pretty far away from where I'm sitting.
1: Hmm. I've got mine at an angle and it works pretty well uh for screencasting in particular, I do everything on the 14 inch display and then I do all the screen flow and, and my diagrams, my uh, I do a lot of mind mapping and stuff to do my my uh tutorials. And uh, that works better for me. And that way I can dumb down the screen on the 14 inch too, to a a resolution that somebody has a hope of being able to read and be able to see what's going on when they see it on a smaller display, like an iPad.
0: Right. Yeah, I I got it. I got an email from a listener talking about, he just bought the Mac studio ultra. And he's like, I have no need of the ultra, but, this is the one part of my life I always want to splurge and I bought the Ultra. <laughs> don't go. judge me. And I'm like, okay, I got to be nicer on the show about that. Yeah. While not everybody needs the Ultra, there's nothing wrong with buying yourself a Max Studio Ultra.
1: I've got a, a listener who says, "You know what? My wife loves me. I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't gamble. I don't I don't run around sure. under. I get to spend all the money I want on tech, and that's our that's our deal."
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> How do you like the the Pro Display XDR? I mean, for a while, that was the only option from Apple. But now, of course, we have the studio display. Are you happy with that choice still?
1: I am. Um, I don't need it. Yeah, you know's them one max right <laughs> I because mean, I don't do you know i the accurate color doesn't matter to me. I like a really bright display though i've I've never understood why people lower the brightness on their display because the brighter the display, the more your pupils contract, and when your pupils contract, you have a longer depth of field, so it's clearer, it's easier to focus, and so I like a really bright display i i know John Syracuse is always talking about how your eyeballs are burn out if you turn it up all the way. I keep mine turned up all the way all the time, always so uh, i don't understand that at all um uh, I, especially I when it's-, it's
0: plugged in i mean on a laptop i get it like if you're worried yeah, about battery, battery power yeah
1: right right um but uh i i do like it a lot uh, what i really truly hated was the stand for that um i i did a post recently where i i did some research on from nasa they they have statistics on the height of uh, eye height to seat of uh, women and men because astronauts, right, yeah. and so they've got all the math on or the numbers, the the statistics on the on the uh, seat to eye height, and the Pro Display XDR in its stand at its lowest is four and a half inches taller than the average eye height of an American white woman. If you're if you're Asian, it's way worse than that. So all the men I know talk about, oh, I have to put my stand my uh, display up on books. I would love to be able to put my display up on books to be able to see the top of the screen. So Steve uh had bought it for me. We sold that on eBay and he bought me an articulated arm from Ergotron and the Visa mount. And I am so happy now. I've lowered it down to where my neck isn't killing me.
0: Yeah. And it, well, you know, when you get a screen that big, it creates a whole bet of whole set of new problems, right? That you don't normally have. I mean, when our screens were 14 inches we didn't have that to worry about
1: that <laughs> well even the 27 inch display was too high for me i had a um 24 inch apple cinema display that i loved and 11 months uh or two years and 11 months into apple care it died which was great timing and apple had to replace it but they didn't make the 24 anymore and they gave me the 27 and i didn't like it cuz it was too tall
0: yeah so you're not going to be turning your Pro Display XDR on its side anytime soon. <laughs> that's what I'm hearing.
1: I have for comedy. The day I got it, we uh we you can uh you can send uh the video from an uh, from an iPhone or an iPad into it. And I yeah. did that. So it was a you know, a 32 inch tall iPhone. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty funny, actually. I like that. Yeah. But now how how is it working for you having that much screen real estate? I mean, that that's a lot of pixels. What are you doing with it all?
1: Well, it is great. During the live show, I definitely fill everything on the big display and on my uh I, I move things over to the right. Like Mimo Live is what we use to produce the show. Uh Steve produces it from his brand new uh um Apple Studio. And uh and so I run that I run that app and a couple other apps over on my uh on my Mac. And then I'm still using um Uh, um, my iPad mini, believe it or not, is the controller for the, the touchscreen controller for Mimo live. So like I can mute Steve if he forgets to mute himself, that kind of thing. And, uh, and it, it is good. What I notice, and I know now why people really like these curved displays is if I, I keep Hindenburg, my recording software in the upper left. And when I have to do something, like I need to line something up, I have to translate horizontally like 12 inches to the left to be able to (laughs) see if I got it lined up right.
0: Yeah, and that, that's why I don't open my laptop next to mine because it's just, it's too far out there. And the way yeah, it's my desk- overflow
1: does. though. It's yeah. just for overflow. You know, you yeah. throw your chat clients over there, that kind yeah. of thing.
0: Yeah, do you use um, Spaces at all with that screen?
1: You know, I've tried to love Spaces. I go through periods where I test it and I try using it and I always end up, whatever I need is in a different space. I need to drag a file from the finder. I need another Safari window and all of a sudden it jumps over to the other one. So I don't use Spaces at all.
0: What about you, Steven? I don't think I've ever asked you that question. Are you a spaces user?
2: I've got really three. I've got my main one, space number two has Tweetbot and Discord. So, kind of like social media stuff. And then I have music full screen all the way to the right, but that's it. Not a real heavy user.
0: Yeah. I'm like, I kind of have reliable spaces. Like, if I go to the left, all my communication apps are there. And then if I go to the right, how do you make it reliable? How do you make it always end
1: up in the same place?
0: I have a keyboard maestro script that I run in that space that opens every app and sizes it for me. So I've got, you know, Twitter, mail, messages, Slack, all that stuff opens up. Because you've got this huge screen, you can put them all. You can put all the apps on the screen at once, and it's in a nice grid. I'll send you a picture.
1: So I, I understand doing that. Uh, yeah, I've got a keyboard maestro script that uh, starts up my live show and, and yeah. sets all the windows into the right positions and stuff. But I unplug my laptop and plug it back in and I put something in full screen and it ends up in a space four spaces to the right.
0: Yeah, well, I don't have that problem. But when I unplug, I completely leave that screen that space alone and I don't touch it. Um, I could run another script on it to resize everything, but I usually when I unplug it, it's for the purpose of recording a show or a screencast. I don't care about that stuff when I'm doing that. And then when I plug it back into my my monitor, everything goes back to normal. So I I'm, I've actually had good experience with it, but I also only have three spaces, so they can't go four spaces to the right because there aren't four. Um, <laughs> well, it makes them up on its own, though. I didn't wow. ever tell it to do that. Well, I think maybe your computer doesn't like you that much, Allison. Yeah, there's that.
2: <laughs> so we've talked about your your Mac setup using MacBook Pro, this big, beautiful display. Uh, what about the iPad? Does that fit into your workflow anywhere?
1: It, it depends on which iPad you're talking about. I cannot figure <laughs> out for the life of me what to do with an iPad mini. Like I said, I use it as a control surface for Mimo Live, and that is literally it. I can't, I it, mostly it's because I can't type on it, I think. I don't enjoy typing on it with my my fingers, you know, it's just, there's nothing natural about using that. And I have to contribute. I think people who are good at consuming things, like who can read Twitter without writing back to Twitter, that'd be great, but I can't do it. Uh, I like a Kindle better than an iPad for reading books. I just I just don't find any use for it at all. On the other hand, my 12.9 inch iPad Pro is the bomb. I love it with the Magic Keyboard. And I use it constantly. I use it as essentially my TV to watch video podcasts. And um, I watch the Hulu and, you know, I watch my chick TV shows on that. Uh, But I also write on it a lot. And um, I might be jumping ahead a little bit here because we're going to talk about it later. But uh, Ulysses is my tool of choice because it works so well on the iPad and on the Mac, syncs perfectly and uses Text Expander. With those things together, it's worth every penny for me. But uh, yeah, I use it like crazy. The iPad Pro is is a big part of everything I do.
0: Well, I have a suggestion for you. I I don't know how low your, your screen is now. It sounds like it's pretty low to the table. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you have any space under that big Mac screen, put your 12.9-inch iPad underneath it, even if it's laying down a bit. And uh, it's really like, that is my second monitor um, because it's awesome. I can do iPad stuff. I can, if I want to have a YouTube playing in the background also now with, uh, what is it? Control center that you, uh, uh, what do you call that Steven? The new feature where you drag your oh, mouse on? Yeah, I know
1: what you're universal talking Universal control. About. There yes, we go. There it universal is.
0: control. Uh, with universal control, I can drag my mouse on it, use my keyboard. I don't even have to get a, a, a multi-radio keyboard. It all works with one. And I, I love having that iPad screen down there. And I use that as my reference monitor, like when I'm recording or something, I'll just make that a um a sidecar monitor and then I'll put all the recording tools down there. So I find so many uses for that. So with a I mat. couldn't
1: there's no way I could put it under my my monitor is less than an inch from the table. Okay. So well. not there. But I have the iPad mini sitting in front that I could do some more stuff with, put chat clients down there. Um you know, I've got enough screen real estate for that. I, I, again, I do use the big iPad, uh, the small iPad. I just don't see why, but the big iPad sure is the second monitor. And even now that sidecar, I don't know when this changed, but I didn't use sidecar for well over a year. And I just noticed that you can now get rid of that stupid bar on the left hand side and expand it. Yeah. So it's a lot more useful there, but it's also sitting right there with a keyboard. So it's not like that's magical. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I I had planned on selling mine. It's a, it's the twenty eighteen. It's the very first blocky, square sided iPad Pro, and mm-hmm. I had planned on selling it because I wasn't using it much. And I thought, well, before I send it off, let me just try this. And it was immediately like, yes, this is something I need in my life, and oh, that's going good. to sell this. Yeah. What What about the iPhone? Which iPhone are you using?
1: Uh, the thirteen Pro, and I love it mostly because I care about the camera. Um, again, didn't need the 13 pro cause I had a 12 pro, but, uh, could get it. So the, uh, iPhone 13 pro is, is awesome with the, the camera. Like I said, I, I have grandchildren might be a few photos of them on there.
0: Just a few.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm really into the, uh, doing the macro stuff too.
0: Yeah, I got to do more macro stuff. Everybody that comes on the show tells me how much they love macro, and I just almost never use it.
1: Take it, take your phone and point it at your pant leg right now and look at how close you can get that that uh, lens. You can get it like down to an inch. It's
0: I did a few weeks ago. I pointed at my keyboard and it freaked me out. My keyboard is <laughs> filthy.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the downside.
2: Hey, don't do that.
0: Yeah, uh, they, but the, the other thing is with the iPhone 13 Pro is you've got the cinematic mode video. Do you ever use that?
1: I tried it. It was pretty funny. My uh, my husband Steve was sitting across from me. We were drinking wine at an outdoor picnic table. And my son-in-law was kind of back behind him to his left. So I said, okay, Steve, I'm going to focus on you now. I want you to look over at, at uh, Nolan, and, and I'm going to do the cinematic mode. It is the creepiest video you've ever seen, because Steve just just something about the way he looked at him. I never yeah. tried it again, because it just freaked me
0: out. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, th- see, that's the thing about cinematic mode. I think people, Apple spent so much time talking about pull focus that I don't think that's the feature. The real feature is just if I want to shoot video of my wife and have the background blurry, but her in focus, it can do that. And mm. don't bother with trying to change the focus point, but just get nice video of a person. It's like portrait mode, but for video, I feel like Apple bungled the message on that.
1: Yeah. Cause I didn't even realize it would do that.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have well, to see, there that you, go. Try. <laughs> you, uh, you spend a little bit of time thinking about Apple. Yeah. So next time Steve is on the picnic table, just focus on him and leave the son-in-law blurred out in the background. That that gives you plausible deniability later.
2: <laughs> it kind of reminds me of when portrait mode first came out for photos, where it was pretty janky and it's gotten better over time. I hope and trust that they can do it with this feature as well, because it would be really cool if it was like nice and sharp where it's supposed to be and the focus and it wander around. But in its current state, I, I haven't been... Super impressed with it.
1: Even when photos were janky with with portrait mode, though, it was still pretty magical. You could every once in a while get that
0: shot. Mm -hmm. I agree. And to be honest, I actually am a bigger fan of cinematic mode in its current iteration than most people I know. Because, you know, of this project Daisy and I have been doing at Disneyland, I tried a few times bringing my good camera. And it's like again, it's like this big, heavy thing. it's the stability is bad. I mean, you have to run a stabilization software to get anything usable. Whereas the iPhone, you don't even need a stabilizer. just it's all stable already. It fits in your pocket. you don't <laughs> like I don't have a thousand dollar lens on the end. so if I drop it, I'm gonna cry right in the middle of Disneyland. And so I've shot a bunch of video with the cinematic mode of Daisy in Disney. And it looks pretty good. I mean, I'll, I'll grant you, it's not as good as if you had like a fancy Sony or a, you know, whatever camera with a good lens on it, but it's good enough, you know? I don't know. I I, reckon, I hope people are trying it because I feel like it's it's something that uh, that can be useful. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Go to onepassword.com mpu slash in all caps to get 20% off your plan. With 1Password, it's the people-first password management application. With 1Password, you can create, store, and autofill passwords in a single click to protect your accounts, collaborate securely, and keep your secrets safe with the password manager you'll love to use. 1Password is the choice of companies like IBM and Slack, but it's also the choice of the Sparks family, because they have family plans to really help you keep your entire family secure on the internet. OnePassword is the easiest and safest way to share logins, passwords and credit cards with your family members without putting them out there on the internet. My wife and kids and I have been sharing a OnePassword for family accounts for years, we're big fans. The beauty is you just have to remember one password and then the application takes care of the rest. Occasionally I get emails from people asking about my use of OnePassword. They've been in business over 15 years and I've been there since the beginning. I met the original developer of 1Password in tiny town at Macworld way back in the day. And people ask, well, what happens if they get hacked? Well, 1Password has designed their entire system around making sure that if they get hacked, you won't have any problems. And in their 15 years of business, they've never been hacked. But uh, even if they did, number one, there's no single point of failure. So there's no easy way to get in. They never know your account password. Uh, Your secret key is yours alone. They don't have it. And everything is into encrypted to keep your information safe. The only data that lives on the 1Password servers is the encrypted vault data, which nobody can read without your secret key, which is on your device. It's a very clever setup and a great way to protect you. I've always felt like my 1Password account gives me both convenience and security, which is what I'm looking for. I want the ability to use my passwords anywhere but I also want secure passwords that are protected and one password gives me both of those. So I have a family plan, me and Daisy share it along with our kids. You can get one yourself. Just go to one slash MPU, make that in all caps and you can sign up for that family plan. In addition to helping you generate and save your passwords, you can also have secure data. I always feel like it's just a second layer of protection on my iPhone. So I can put my truly secure data in the one password vault And even if somebody was able to unlock my phone, they still wouldn't be able to get it. So go check it out yourself. Once again, that's 1password.com slash MPU. Let them know you heard about it at the Mac Power Users and start protecting yourself and your family today.
2: So Allison, one thing that came up during our uh, pre-gaming call uh, last week was your exploration of the world world of uh, diagramming as a way to... Uh, to talk about or to show an idea in a blog post. And I'd like to talk a little bit about that because it's not something that I've really done much of over the years. And you had sent us some examples, and we'll have some examples in the show notes. Uh, How did you end up with this as something you do, and what tools are you using uh, to make these images?
1: Well, I mentioned earlier that I'm a big mind-mapping fan, and uh, I use iThoughts. For that and love that because it's on the iMac or on the Mac and on the iPad and again go back and forth everything syncs flawlessly it's a great app and uh, when I've tried to explain a couple of things I started noticing that I was fighting the tool and I thought you know what a diagram would be a better way to go and there's a, a free web service called diagrams.net And I believe it's actually run by Atlassian, uh, who does, uh, uh, they do some web services or um, wiki stuff and enterprise work. So they have a real business model, and that's why they can make this free. And um, they also have a desktop app. It's very confusing. The website used to be called draw.io. The desktop app is still called draw.io, but the website is now diagrams.net. Try to try to keep those pieces in your head, um, but it's a really easy, well-made tool for making diagrams that cost you absolutely nothing. It's not perfect. it's a little bit a uh, little bit hard to use at times, but I find it's a great way to to lay things out. And the place I actually started doing it was when we went on travel. We went on a really complicated trip to uh, uh, Dubai, India, and Nepal, and we had i don't know. 12 plane flights, uh, 15 hotels, uh, trying to keep track of what city we were going to be in on what night and where we were going to be. I wanted to be able to show my family, you know, where we would be at these different times. And this diagram, it's one of my favorites. I would walk up to the immigration people and simply hand them the the paper. I had a little, you know, a little sleeve and everything. And it was great because they'd go, okay, got it. Because they always ask you, where are you staying, you know, all those kind of questions. And I just had it on a diagram. So I never had to remember what it was or flip through a bunch of paper. Um, Believe it or not, another thing I've used it for is we have a really complicated uh, method of going to doing Christmas because I've got family in San Diego and family in uh, uh, other closer cities. And then we go up and visit Steve's family and there's dogs and cats to put in different places. And people go on vacations after Christmas and figuring out where all the cars are and making sure everybody knows where they're supposed to be. And so I make one of those diagrams every year for Christmas. And it's, it's, I've done it all with diagrams.net.
0: This is It's such a powerful tool. So you told us about this last week and I've been fiddling with it the last week. And I'm really impressed with it you know and i think that uh not only does it it do a good job of working with a um you know on your browser it integrates with a bunch of good services like dropbox notion um i had just ran a a script on it this morning and and i put it into obsidian with what they call an iframe which is now i'm getting super nerdy but There's like a lot of stuff you can do with this stuff, and the idea of having your diagramming tool on the internet—so long as you you haven't got sensitive data in it—is something I think is worth checking out. Well,
1: and that's why the desktop app is cool too, because I can do like the family diagram is not on the internet. Yeah, but the other ones I do, I usually do on the website. The one I'm really—I was really excited about—in October when Apple announced the M1 Pro and M1 Max in the laptops. I couldn't figure out what all these different models were because there were so many different decision points, right? There's how many CPU cores do you need, how many GPU cores, how much RAM, How what the power adapter can be affected. Literally, the number of cores you choose in your CPU affects the size of your power adapter. There, there's all these interdependencies that are really complicated. And so I made a diagram of that, and it got a lot of traction. That one was, was pretty popular. And I I was able to lay it out in a clean way that you can see the repercussions of your decisions at any point. You can say, okay, I need uh, I only need a 24 core GPU. Well, that turns out that means you can have 32 or 64 gigabytes of RAM. But if you went to 16 core, you could only have 16 or 32 gigabytes of RAM. You know, these decisions were difficult without being able to see this. There's two things the diagram doesn't show. How much is it going to cost? and which everybody wanted me to add. And I said, no, that's like 128 more pieces of information. Yeah. Uh, And uh, uh, the other thing it doesn't show is, um, wait, what was the second thing? There were two things. Oh, whether you need any of this.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nobody like I, wants that. Nobody wants that.
1: No. I mean, I'd love to have an overlay that says I do uh video streaming to YouTube, but I don't do much encoding locally. Boom. This is the path you should take. You know, yeah. there's none of that.
0: Yeah. It is interesting the the idea of, you know, RAM and how much memory you can get, like Steven just bought the Mac studio, uh, max version. So you are, you're not allowed to get 128 gigabytes of RAM. It yeah. just doesn't doesn't, it doesn't fit, exist. You know, <laughs> you know? Um, and if you had needed that, but you didn't need the ultra chip, you yeah. really didn't have an option. And that's kind of one of the the costs of having everything in you know one silicon wafer. And definitely there there's there's a lot of good things about that, but there's some bad things too. One of which is you know at certain levels you just don't get the RAM. You don't have the availability of the RAM. Mm-hmm.
1: The other, that existence of the Mac Studio spawned another diagram because what I wanted to illustrate was where the M1, M1 Pro, M1 Max, and M1 Ultra chips go into which kind of models. And it turns out there are one, two, three, four, five, say seven different M1 devices. The 13-inch MacBook Pro, the MacBook Air, the 24-inch iMac, the Mac Mini, and three different models of iPads. But if you go M1 Pro, you can only get that. In the MacBook Pro, 14 or 16 inch, yeah, there is no Mac Studio with an M1 Pro, and I almost—I I think I should have left like a hole in the diagram saying what's going to fill this. Is it going to be an M1 uh, a Mac Mini with a Pro, or is it going to be an M1 uh, with a Pro or a Mac Studio with a Pro? But I wanted to illustrate that, so that was another diagram I did this year in the Apple M1 Mac uh, family and I dated it March 2022 March 2022 because I wanted to make sure I was ready to put a new version out when the next thing comes up.
0: Yeah, now are you what do you guys think are is the new Mac mini because there's been rumors of a redesign. I mean, it, I think it'd be only natural, but actually not, maybe not since the footprint is the same as the uh, Mac Studio, but do you think there's going to be a Mac mini that gets beyond the M2 that there'll be a M1 Pro Mac mini?
2: I don't know. I think that Apple, at least so far in this, has been really content to keep the consumer machines consumer. Yeah. And, you know, it's not as simple as the grid of four to your, Allison, to your point in this blog post, but it seems like they're pretty OK with like, hey, this is the consumer thing. and They all have this chip. And if you need more than that, then we have these other solutions for you. Now, the Mac Mini may be the one machine that could straddle those lines a little bit, but. I also sort of have this hunch that maybe the next Mac Mini won't look like they have for the last 10 years, and maybe there'll be more distinction between it and the Mac Studio visually that kind of helps answer the question.
1: Yeah, that's a a tough one, because if they were going to make an M1 Pro Mac Studio, why didn't they just do that? Mm -hmm. And so that means it would only go on the Mac Mini, but then can you put it in a Mac Mini without a big heatsink? Then it becomes a Mac Studio. Or does the Mac mini just become a fat Mac? You know, what what happens here?
0: Well, if you look historically, they had two grades of Mac mini. They had the consumer one and the pro one. And to me, I feel like probably the pro, if you look at that pro chip, which fits into uh, MacBook Pros just fine, that don't have the same cooling system as the the Mac studio. I I, I could see a world where they come out with an M2 Mac mini and maybe a m1 pro like mac mini that's a that's a step up and so instead of having eight or 16 gigabytes of ram you have 16 or 32 and you've got the m1 pro chip and i mean historically they've had that product and now they had an intel version i don't know if they're still selling it or not but the up until recently oh they so they're still selling something in that slot so i don't know i i mean it's apple who the heck knows i mean i but i could see them having two tiers of mac mini and that would that would fill the gap nicely. But I could also see them just saying, you know, forget it. We're just going to have the M2 Mac mini and there is no desktop M1 Pro.
1: You guys realize how long it's been since a an entirely new model of Mac existed with a whole new name? The Mac I bet, Studio. I bet Stephen
0: knows. I bet Steven knows. Like, I think
1: it's 16 years.
2: Yeah, I mean, well, I, I guess it's the Intel transition, whenever that was, because... MacBook, the the one right. port, MacBook reused that name. So, yeah, I guess it's like MacBook Pro, Mac Pro, that that sort of time frame.
0: But I would even argue that that wasn't really a new class of machine.
2: No. No, it was just a rebranding,
0: really. I, I really think that maybe the first class of machine I was the MacBook Air was the last time there was a new class of Mac. You know, the original one with the, you know, with the shuttle bay door on the USB port, the one in and, the envelope. Yeah, I mean because that was a completely different kind of Mac. Um, I think there's a good argument to be made that that was a new class, ultralight. You know, it was the first. Ultra yeah, I'm Light talking
1: Mac. about a whole name, too. The Mac Studio. That well, the MacBook
0: Air was a new name too.
1: That's a type of MacBook. Just Mac Studio. There's nothing before it, right? It is. It is unique. There's nothing. It's not a variation okay. on a theme.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Steve and I were talking when that first announcement came down. What this really does, it takes the brakes off. So the Mac Pro is going to be crazy, ridiculous, and expensive. I mean, they made the Mac Studio for most of us. And then the very few people for whom that is not enough, get your checkbook out, gang. Here it comes, you know. Have you ever owned a Mac Pro Studio, uh, Allison?
1: No. Uh, the I mean, we had Cheese Grater Macs. Back yeah. in the day before the uh before the laptops came out, but uh no.
2: Nope.
1: Yeah,
0: me either. Well no. <laughs> the, uh, I did until very recently. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you you no longer own it?
2: No, it's been sold.
0: Oh, okay. Well moved did you, on. Uh, did you give it a hug before you sent it off? It
2: was sadder than I thought it would be.
0: I bet. I bet. I think you did the right thing though. Get some money out of it while you can.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah, there was too much value in it. For it to just to go straight into the collection, you know I can find another one in fifteen years, it'll be okay,
0: yeah, yeah, well, I guess that kind of tips your hand to what we're going to be talking about later that you <laughs> must you must like your new machine,
2: yeah, i do um, i do um Allison, I did have a question to circle back to the diagramming for a second. I'm not a huge mind map person i just I just don't really think that way, but when I do uh Use that as a tool. I have a tendency to sit down, like with my iPad, and use my uh, Apple Pencil, and it just feels kind of like a, a visual way of of putting something together. Uh, when you're sort of in this creative process of putting something together visually in a diagram, is that a tool that you pick up the iPad for? Do you do you have that relationship to it that I do, or is this a a pretty Mac centric workflow for you?
1: This has all been Mac centric. Um I'm trying to f- rethink about whether diagrams.net would let you draw with the pencil. I hadn't I hadn't actually thought that uh, about that. I should try that. Um I do use my my pencil and I use it and I think David's going to love this in particular. I use it when I need to think. And what I mean by that is is in in the old days when I would uh, when I was working and I had to do a lot of annoying disgusting PowerPoint presentations nobody wanted to listen to I found that if I sat down in front of the computer and I opened PowerPoint, I would spend 80% of my time figuring out how to indent so that it made sense and, you know, getting the font right and changing the font size. And and I find it even worse in Keynote. Keynote irritates me quite a bit. But what I discovered was if I went to the recycle bin next to the copier and I grabbed a bunch of pieces of paper and I just started writing out my thoughts at scribbling with a pencil, I was able to get the ideas down, and then I could always format it later. So I do that now in my, in my uh, new life here. And in particular, one of the places I do it is, is in programming. Because I find if I try to figure something out typing, I will have to make the syntax correct. But I can write pseudocode if I'm scribbling. I can't make myself type incorrectly. I have to be precise. But with the pencil, I can just draw it out. I can draw little diagrams with, you know, cruddy-looking diagrams. And I try to resist... Um, the making good rectangles, you know, I, I use notability and if you take care, it'll make a perfect rectangle, but don't do that. Just scribble them, draw, draw arrows, draw lines, whatever you need to do and, and scribble out my ideas and I can change colors and, and get, get the thoughts going. And I can often figure out a solution. I step away from my, my desk and I sit in an easy chair and I scribble. And that, that is how I think is with the pencil.
0: That makes sense. And it, it frees you from all the technical wizardry, right? You can just actually think. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, th- there are times that I'll do that just with like a, a pen and paper. If something's going to become a graphic or if I'm working on, you know, a layout for the Relay website or something, it's like, yeah, I don't actually want all this to like snap to a grid and be perfect. I just want to let the ideas flow. And sometimes that little action of it snapping to a rectangle is enough. Like, no, 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 that's not... That's not what I want because now I'm going to be <laughs> distracting and making sure everything's pixel perfect. When sometimes you you don't want yep. that when you're in that sort of creative space.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think it's a, a remarkable way to do it. I-, I use it for something else really strange. I use it for crafts. So I cross stitch and I uh, knit and I crochet. And in cross stitching, a lot of times you want to put some letters on onto a grid. So I turn on the grid on uh, Notability, and now I've paid for it, so I, I get even smaller, tighter grid. So I can I can figure out how the letters are going to go and where they're going to fit, and what are they going to look like, and what font I can use that I found online. Um, and I also I, I did a really complicated knitting pattern recently. This is a great blog post, by the way. You guys love this one. How I I knit like a programmer. Because this was was a series of uh, blocks across the the knitting pattern, so four blocks, and with the four blocks were iterating at a different rate. So one of them was six tall, and one of them was four tall. So they were kind of but going over each other. So each time you went across. It was a mystery what the next row was going to be, and I don't know how normal people can follow a pattern that is explaining that. And so I wrote it out as as like code, going you know do loop here. This is an in you know embedded do loop inside the other one, and uh, that was the only way I could figure it out. And that was all done with pencil.
2: Yeah, hey, I'm looking at this blog post now. This is incredible. <laughs> I love that that's how your brain <laughs> solved that problem.
0: <laughs> I did a um. I've been struggling with um delegation lately. So mm. I've been trying to break down all of my workflows, like what do I do from you know an idea to posting a blog post or some of the other stuff that I make. And by, work, by putting it into these um, flowcharts, I'm able to say, oh, well, here's a block that doesn't need to be me. And then I can start thinking about delegation. And I've been doing all this in OmniGraffle. But, you know playing with diagrams.net it's very tempting just to start doing it there. I mean everything snaps, I like the grid. This is a really nice uh this is a really nice resource. Yay. Uh you do have some posts on your website about uh Max, though. And <laughs> I uh, it made me sad. You've got all these posts about uh Max since uh, since Steve Jobs returned, and all of them have the skull and crossbones on them. It's very sad.
1: <laughs> well, the purpose of that one was uh, Tom Merritt was asking the question of whether, uh, on Daily Tech News Show, he was asking me the question about whether the current setup of Max is more confusing than it was when Steve Jobs came back. So I made a diagram where I looked up all of the models of, um, of Max that existed the day Steve Jobs came back. By the way, did you know he left and came back on the same day? It was like January sixteenth, September sixteenth, ninety seven was when he came back, and it was September sixteenth when he left. Anyway, fun fact to know and tell. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so I looked at, I made this diagram, and the only I wanted to show when they died, so that you could see, did he kill them off when he got there, or did they die a natural death? And of of all of them, only two of them survived uh, until uh, you know till their natural time.
2: Yeah, it it was. uh... I mean, it's famous now, right? The grid of four having basically four computers for sale professional, consumer, desktop, and notebook. And, you know, in your post, you go into that's a lot more complicated now. And even and just talking about it here, it's like, why isn't the M1 Pro and something else? Like, where do these lines fall? But yeah, all those old Macs with the, the skull and crossbones over them. It was a little dark for me, I'll just say. It, it, it is sad. It's an ugly diagram, too, because every every
1: Mac looked different, so the color palette is revolting.
2: Yeah. I, I don't like looking at it In the 90s, yeah. a lot of different beige going on. But it does make you see why he killed them.
1: You know, he looked at it, and he said, I don't even t- know how to tell my fa- friends and family which one to buy.
0: That 20th anniversary Mac, man. It's beautiful. That is not a, that is not a pretty computer. Come on. I don't man I remember, I remember when that came out looking at it, because you know, back in the day there was a store called, I don't know if it's around anymore, called the Sharper Image, you know. Sure. Oh yeah. and they'd sell you sell you like a hundred dollar back scratcher or some stupid thing, right? I always felt like the 20th anniversary of Mac was what Sharper Image customers went for.
2: Oh, It was very much of its time, you know? And it it to be cool and futuristic, they had to make some choices, and not all of those have aged well. But that's okay.
0: Yeah. All right.
1: Well, was good enough for Jerry Seinfeld. That's right. Oh, well, there you
2: go. There yeah. You go. But yeah, I mean, I, I can't help you if you don't think it's it, it's not beautiful. But I I don't think it's ugly. I think it has a special place in Mac history, and I got one right here. It's right over my shoulder. You can you can come you can come apologize in person, David. Next
0: next right, time you're I here, I will. I will. I'm very <laughs> sorry, Mac. The all you know it is it is when you look at all these old Macs, it is. um Maybe I'm just an element of my time, but I feel like computers are much more beautiful now than they've ever been. I mean, all that plastic, there was only so much you could do.
2: Yeah. No, you're, you're not wrong. You're just not completely right either. I don't know. That, <laughs> that performance is just disgusting. I mean, it, that's really. <laughs> the that one with it. The, yeah. Yeah. There, there were some, 50, some choices they made. What can we say?
0: And, you know, laptops, they they had a certain look for a long time just because that's what they had to be.
2: I love that they went
1: from those uh, old black models to colors to white to then charging extra for black. Remember that? Yeah. (laughs) On the MacBooks, they they got away with charging extra for Macs and people, ooh, I'm getting the black one.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I actually just wrote an article about that a couple of weeks ago and- people kind of came out of the woodwork of like, yeah, this is, this is the one I got. Cause it was so cool. Or I didn't get it cause I didn't want to spend the extra money. And it's, I mean, if, when you, when you've been doing it as long Allison, as you have, you can really see those like big eras, right? Like we went from beige and Apple being in trouble and then jobs coming back and like the great simplification. And now they're the biggest company on the planet, depending on what day of the week it is. And they have all of these product lines. It's, it's like different from how it was before, but it's also their similarities. And uh that's one thing that uh I like about what you publish because you have that perspective, because you've been interested in this uh since the very beginning. And you know, I certainly uh, try to fake it, but I wasn't there in eighty four. <laughs> and I think that's I think that's something cool that you bring to to your audience. And I'm sure they love it. Well, thanks.
1: I do have to say this uh, this chart is only complete because I asked uh, Adam Angst of Tidbits to check it for me and I was missing like 8 of them. <laughs> so, I don't know, I didn't <laughs> yeah. scroll in Mac Tracker or something. I missed I missed a whole bunch of them. So uh, when you want the precision and the history uh, you know, I may do do fairly well but uh, Adam's the man.
0: Uh, you know, you talk about paint extra for color, but you do that now with the with the M1 iMac where you know at the base model there's only a few colors and if you buy the the higher end spec one and granted it has more bells and whistles but you also have more colors available and i have to wonder that if the rumors are true and we're going to get an M2 MacBook Air with colors are they going to do the same thing are you going to have to pay extra to get the higher spec if you want the certain colors
1: and oddly in phones it goes the other way right the cheaper yeah. ones have the colors but if you're a pro, you clearly only need blue.
0: Well, I mean, last week I took on the job of Apple vice president of naming. I would also like to take on the job of vice president of color distribution. And I would fix that immediately on day one. <laughs> That's my All campaign. Colors. colors matter. Colors are fun. Yeah. I Well, also, I, I just think that there's a certain part of being a person who likes Apple products that you like whimsy, you know, you like the Mm. tortoise and the hair and the control center. There's been whimsy in their products over the years. I think they lost that for a while and I hope that comes back and, you know, putting colors in the pro products would be a nice way to do that. I'd also, I mean, this is, this is something that will probably never come true, but I'd love to see an Apple product with the rainbow logo on it again one day, even if it's just like a special product, you know?
1: I don't know, that would look so out of place nowadays. But maybe if it if it's the, the same kind of glow through, but it glows through in different colors. That'd
0: maybe cool. rotating colors. That'd be cool. Uh, although, you know, I'm looking at the 20th anniversary Mac, and it's got a cute little rainbow logo in the middle. So I'm changing my opinion. <laughs> got that little rainbow right on the front.
2: This episode of Mac Power Users is made possible by Indeed. Hunting down answers to your questions can be rewarding. Finding what you're looking for is fantastic. But when it comes to hiring, you probably don't have time to do as much searching as you would like, to spend as much time as you possibly can to find a great candidate with the right skills. And that's where there's Indeed, the best hiring partner your team can get. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements, or else you just don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple jobs, hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process. Find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, you'll sponsor a post and as as soon as you do, you'll get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description. You can invite them to apply right away. Plus, you only pay for qualified and quality applications that, again, meet your must-have requirements. It's pretty incredible how easy Indeed makes it to find great talent. According to Comscore, Indeed is the number one job site worldwide. And you'll be in good company. Join more than the 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit and upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash mpu. This offer is valid through April 30th. Go to indeed.com slash mpu claim your $75 credit before April 30th. Indeed.com slash MPU. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? Then you need Indeed. Our thanks to Indeed for their support of the show.
0: Allison, in addition to making your podcast, you write everything out. And uh, as you were talking about earlier in the show, that's a little bit of work. How do you do that?
1: (laughs) I usually start thinking in Ulysses... Because I can do it on the Mac and on the on the uh, iPad. Yeah, iPad, and so in the morning I sit in bed having a cup of coffee, and I'll tend to write sometimes from the iPad, and it, it's a good place to think again because I don't get to mess around with a lot. I get frustrated fairly quickly though because part of the way I think is is with images. So as I'm trying to describe something, like right now I'm in the middle of writing up uh, a post about Audio Hijack and the new changes with Audio Hijack 4, and I need the screenshots to picture what I'm going to say, which seems kind of counterintuitive. A lot of people like Markdown because you can't do that kind of thing, sort of back to our write with a pencil when you want to think story. Uh, But I think along those images, what do I want to capture when I'm talking about this? What is the thing I'm going to try to show? And um, so I... It fairly quickly'll switch over to Mars Edit, which is where I actually create the blog post. I wish Mars Edit ran on the ipad. I, I I just wish that with every fiber of my being, and I bother Daniel Jalkut about it on a regular basis. Um, that's an app that allows me to to write still in markdown, and I can just drag in an image and I've set up a a bunch of little um, I forget what he calls them, but they're they're basically settings you can set so that I have uh, I like all of my images to be in figures. And I like them right justified most of the time, but I've got a right, left, and center justified option, and it puts in the alt text for me for the image. I can change it, but it takes the name of the file, and I'm always careful. I name my files according to what I want the alt text to be, so I only have to name it once. And, And then I can change the width and make it fit and look nice while I'm working. And, uh and Mars edit then is is where I publish from and again I wish that was on the iPad so I could do a little bit more back and forth amen. that is where I usually finish it up
2: did you say amen I did I did say <laughs> amen yeah I, I love Mars edit I publish everything on five fill pixels through it and would love a, an iOS version of it for sure
1: yeah everybody write to Daniel Jalkett. <laughs> red sweater.com is that right uh, red sweater.com.
0: It's red sweater. I don't, yeah, I don't know if there's a dash or not, but it is red sweater, but the, uh, so you write, so on the iPad you're writing Ulysses and then at some point you move it over to Mars edit on your Mac. Is that, how it goes?
1: Yeah, there's an export to Markdown, uh, and I use that to then just copy it all and paste it over, which is kind of a waste. Uh, Another thing I do like about writing in Ulysses is it lets me know how long it's going to take me to read it. I mean, it's not accurate, but it gives me some sort of an indication that this is, you've now written 11 minutes worth of content. I don't like my show to be any shorter than 40 minutes long. I get complaints from Stephen Getz if it is, uh, so I have to keep it at least 40 minutes. And uh, so I, I'm constantly looking at the timing of those of all of the pieces that I'm writing to see whether I've got enough content. Um, I'm actually working on a, a web app right now that I call TimeAdder, and, and it's functional, but only I only use it locally. It's not ready for prime time. But I need to know how much do all these times add up to. And that's actually a really hard thing to do. Like you'd think you could pop home at Excel or numbers and say, just add these times. But those, those applications all look at time as absolute time, not, not elapsed time. So well, like no, if you, you if do that you add numbers. 50, what's that?
0: You can do that in numbers. Yeah, oh
1: yeah. Would you like to see my blog post on this subject of how hard it is to do? Okay. It is really hard to do. You can do it, but you have to do a bunch of faffing about. And, and I think the last call, I got it to work, but it wouldn't subtract numbers properly. So like if you, if you take 59 uh, minutes and you add one minute to it, you will not get 60 minutes. You'll get like noon or something. I mean, it, 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 they don't think in absolute time. And so uh, I, I wrote some formulas in Excel that will do it. And I have that method to do it. But I'm trying to, I'm making this web app so that you could put in the names of the different things that you're adding up and then all of the times and you can put positive or negative numbers. So you can say add and subtract and then export it like as a CSV or something like that. But I use that myself to figure out how long my show is going to be.
0: Isn't isn't there a, a cell format called duration? I thought you just put duration formatted cells, and you can. Add I will them send up. you a link to my blog post. Uh, I I, yeah, I believe you. I'm not. I'm not questioning you. I just. I just was asking. I thought that. So, it, using a yeah. duration cell format won't work for you.
1: Yeah that that did that was a trick uh, that I learned after I'd done a lot of the work up front on that. But um, it was. Th- I think that's the one that you can't subtract. Okay. If I remember correctly, uh, yeah, the, po- b- b- the blog post is called how to add Elapsed time in Excel. And then it goes on into, um, uh, into numbers towards the end.
0: Yeah, like I was thinking, cause like for my field guides, we use an error table cause it's kind of shared with mm-hmm. a few people and we use a duration field in that. So we can keep a running log of how long, you know, how many hours the damn things got to. And um, that works fine, but I only add, I don't do any subtraction. I just want to know, you know, if you add up all these videos, how many, how many hours is this?
1: Here, here's a quote from my blog post. Formatting as a lapse time is definitely easier because numbers has a format called duration. That's easier to remember and use than hours, minutes, seconds, but it's just as dumb. If you look at the formula bar, numbers represents thirteen zero 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 as 1 AM.
0: Yeah, because it, a duration field doesn't represent a time. It represents a length
1: but that's not what it does. It still thinks it's time. It still thinks it's absolute. And, and there is yeah. a way to, like I said, you can beat it into submission except for the subtraction thing.
0: All right. Well, that's, yeah, that's a little rabbit hole, but uh, <laughs> it's remarkable to me though, that you, you script out your whole show. I mean, that that's impressive. It's
1: necessary to, I what I found. I, I tried not to, this was before the DeafBlind guy wrote to me, but I tried really hard not to. I thought, okay, well, that's making me stilted. You know, I'm reading. That's not going to be natural sounding. And I found what I would do is I would write it all out, and then I would try to convert it into bullets. So I was removing valuable information and and making it less, you know, making the, there not be a blog post to go along with it. And I remember somebody saying to me sometime one time, you know, Alison, you really shouldn't post all that as blog posts because people are going to read instead of listen. And I I said, God, that'd be terrible if they got the content the way they wanted it. You're yeah, right, exactly. You
0: stop that.
1: But I write the way I I speak, so my writing is not not technically correct. It's the way I would say it.
0: No, no, it, it's 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 written as a script. I mean, you, you can see, like, I can hear your voice when I read it, and um, and I think that's the way you should do it. So, if, if I you. could
1: do it off the cuff, I absolutely would, David. I mean, Adam does it, and I don't know Adam Christensen. I don't know how he does it.
0: Yeah. Well, it's impressive, and and then what are you doing for like your because you're doing all these different platforms with your audience? You've got video, audio. What what are what's your tool set for that?
1: So uh, for everything, the center of the universe is everything from Rogue Amoeba. I was asked at AltConf to win a t shirt or something like that. What what single Mac app? would keep you from ever leaving the platform. And I instinctively said Audio Hijack. There's no question. Without yeah. Audio Hijack, nothing would work. And you guys are on the, on board that, right? Absolutely. Yeah, so I use Audio Hijack to, to capture my audio. I don't use a mixer. I tried using a mixer for a while. I had uh, Victor Cahiao help me set it up, help me figure out which one to buy, told me how to set all the knobs. And it was always a mystery to me. It was this giant piece of equipment on my desk and I hated every minute of it. I got rid of it and I do everything in Audio Hijack. And between audio hijack to capture the audio and record the audio, like like what we're doing right now. I'm doing a backup recording for the guys here, um, but I also use Sound Source to. Um, I'm sorry, I also use Loopback in order to combine sources. So when I'm doing my live show, uh, like I said, we use Mimo Live for the production. I run that on my machine, and then I'm sending my video and audio over to Steve on his machine, and then he produces is is pushing it out to YouTube Live, and. Um, That gets embedded on our website while the show's going on. But my audio is being combined using uh, Loopback. So I combine Hindenburg, my uh, audio workstation, my recording software for the live show. I combine that with my voice so that I can send both of those over to Discord. So the Discord chat, can, if they just want to listen instead of watch, they can listen inside Discord and hear my voice and hear the the recordings when I play things back. Um, That's for... Most everything I do. Oh, and Soundsource added a, a huge thing. Uh, with Soundsource, you can change the volume and mute specific sources. So when we've got the live show going, I can hear Steve and Mimo live, and I can hear him in Discord because he's sending his audio to Discord. But I don't. I only want to hear one of Steve's. So during the the actual production, when we're actually you know going, I mute Discord. So Discord's running and it's sending audio, but with, with SoundSource, I can click a button in my menu bar and say, I don't want to hear that. Or if his sometimes his audio is too loud for me in Memo Live, I can turn Memo Live down independently from my normal speakers. And it's, it's life-changing and at my previous audio interface I didn't have a mute button and it turns out I me mean, live can give you a mute button it's just it's I can see my microphone right now and to make this a terrible podcast I could click it right now and it would mute my mic I changed mic interfaces and now I have one I think we're we're Wave XLR buddies Elgato Wave XLR buddies now David
0: uh, you and I are I think Steven is on fancier gear but, yeah uh, I yeah.
2: I've got the Wave XLR on my streaming PC though and it's it's fantastic I gave up a $700 universal audio
1: Thunderbolt three interface and I have never been happier going down to the wave XLR for 150 bucks or whatever it was that, that other interface was just, it was hideous. I'm the wrong audience for it. It's not for podcasters. It comes with a, gosh, how big was it? I think it's a nine gigabyte driver file. Yeah. (laughs) It's ridiculous. So yeah.
0: And one big dial. And, and, yeah, one big deal. And when, dial, and when mute you mute button. it, it just turns all red, so you know when you're muted. It's it's just great. Uh, but but you know, just on the subject of audio hijack, you know, Paul and his team make excellent audio tools. I don't think there's anybody making software for the Mac that understands the audio stack better than they do. But I think what they don't get enough credit for is. This is complex stuff, and their user interfaces are so good. I mean, like even loopback, just the way you connect things and the pipes, you connect them together. Uh, They just released Audio Hijack 4. I guess we should mention that on the show. Um, And the user interface got even better on that. Um, If you want to work with audio tools... You shouldn't have to try and, you know, discern what the heck's going on. And there and the audio hijack and the, the Rogue Amoeba software in general just makes it so easy to see exactly what's going on.
1: Some of the stuff I do, you can do like with audio MIDI setup. But it's a brain tease to figure it out. You do it in Audio Hijack, it's like, oh, I need this block and this block. And look, there's a little line between them and it goes, you know, I mean, yeah. it's just it's yeah. so easy. The, the other thing is it's <clears throat> for us, for the three of us, it's incredibly great visually because you drag these blocks in and you see a little dotted yellow line, you know, you can tell the audio's flowing. It looks great, but it's also built from the ground up, accessible to voiceover. And that's the amazing thing. So you've got these blocks in a row. And when you when you move a block, it'll say one comma one, one comma two, one comma three. So you know the the orientation of them with respect to each other. I've taught not one but two blind people to use audio hijack and they were able to use it immediately after like an hour with me.
0: Yeah. You do so much good work. Allison, with you know talking about accessibility and software, I remember one year you and I spoke at MacWorld together. Back mm-hmm. when there was a MacWorld, and you did a session where you wore a um, a blindfold for the whole session. That was at MacWorld that you did that, right?
1: Yeah, it was a tech talk called that I called blindfolded. When I was done, I think my favorite. Feedback on that was right after that we went and watched Don McAllister speak and he said, You know what? I was really nervous getting up here, but I just watched Allison do hers blindfolded. So I figured this has gotta be easier than
0: Yeah, it it does help. (laughs) So that was that was
1: Yeah, right, right. It was really, really challenging. Uh, I wanted to learn to use voiceover, and I figured if I had to do a presentation blindfolded, I better learn it. Uh, the iPhone is really easy, really, really easy. I mean, it was hard to learn to type on it, but uh, everything else was super easy. The Mac was really, really hard, and I actually crashed and burned on that. Unfortunately, I did. I did the criminal thing. What is the one thing you don't do when you're doing a presentation? change it right before you go on stage.
0: Yeah, it's it's usually a bad idea.
1: Right before I went on stage, I took my presentation. I thought, oh, it'll be easier if it's on my desktop. And then somewhere during it, I somehow picked it up and it was following me around everywhere I went and 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 to try to get it off, I was like hitting spacebar. I was opening things like personal information on screen. It's just a mess. I finally ended up having a, and it, it became an audience participation moment. They really enjoyed it, um but not quite what i was I was hoping for there. But the feedback I got was people said, no, that showed us how hard it is, and that's good for us to know, you know.
0: We, there, there's a guy named Derek Story, and we should probably get him back on the show. I haven't talked to him in years, but he used to always, always give the presentation at MacWorld on Aperture, the, the software that Apple used to make to, you know, help you manage your photo library and do some edits. And one year, I remember sitting in the speaker room talking to Derek, and he was already he was going to give like a two day seminar on Aperture. And the next morning, the day MacWorld started, Apple released Aperture three. <laughs> Oh gosh. <laughs> no warning. And I remember just looking in the room where he was sitting in there downloading the new app. And just he had the the saddest look on his face I've ever seen on a human. Could you imagine building a two-day presentation and finding out the software is obsolete the, the morning of the presentation?
1: Jeez. And that was a big change too. Yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah, one of the reasons I, I do the accessibility stuff is because it's really fun. Yeah. It, I really, really enjoy it. I enjoy learning about it. Steve and I go every year. Uh, didn't for two years, but we just went a couple of weeks ago to the CSUN Assistive Tech uh, Conference, and it's so fun. They have the coolest toys, the most interesting stuff there, and uh, and so it's just it's just really enjoyable. And uh, I, if you keep thinking about accessibility, um, it it just. It's not just that it's the right thing to do. It's the obvious thing to do to me. I I did a talk at Blog World. I entitled increase your audience size through accessibility. So if you're a blogger and you're not making your stuff accessible, you're literally missing millions of people who could be enjoying your content. And everybody wants to know how to increase the audience. Well, don't exclude all of them. That doesn't make any sense. And in doing it, one of the easy things is putting all tags on your images. Oh no, I know what I was talking about. There were there used to be visual only captures, you know, those annoying things where you got to you know click on all the stop signs or whatever. Yeah. Um, they used to have visual only versions of those. Now everything's got audio as well. But I said, don't ever put a, a visual only captcha on your website, or you've basically put a brick wall in front of anybody who's blind. And after I finished, this guy came up to me and he said, Allison, I I I can't believe I didn't know about this. I run the Section 508 website for the United States government. Section 508 is the, is the rules that say yeah. all government stuff needs to be accessible. And yeah. I didn't know this. <laughs> and, yeah. I, you know, I was happy I taught him. But on the other yeah. hand, so what kind of training did
0: you have for this yeah, job exactly. if you didn't know the most obvious thing? This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Electric. Go to electric.ai slash mpu and unbury yourself from IT tasks. Moreover, get a free pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones when you schedule a qualifying meeting. We've all served as tech support for friends and family, right? I think I'm full-time tech support for my family. Every time we get together, there's somebody with a Mac or an iPad and a list of questions. But when it comes to work, if you're focused on building a business, you won't always have time to jump into the rescue when there's a tech issue that needs solving. The team over at Electric knows small businesses, maybe like yours, face these challenges. That's why they've solved this problem for you by operating as your IT department. Instead of spending your time sorting through unused application licenses, setting up employee laptops, and answering never-ending IT questions from your team, you can build that empire. With Electric acting as your IT department, you can get back to what you're good at. Plus, you get a really cool IT platform to see and manage everything. Delegation isn't easy. I'm really bad at it because I'm such a control freak. And if you're listening to this show, you are passionate about your technology. So you're going to have an opinion as to how your employees use it. And you want to control that IT. But the fact is, that's not why your business exists. Your business exists for the thing that you make so well. You've got to let go of IT and let somebody else take care of it for you. And that's why electric exists, to handle that so you can make the things you love. And for Mac power users listeners, Electric is offering a free pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones for taking a qualified meeting. Just think about that. If Electric becomes your IT company, not only do you have someone solving the IT problems for you, you've got some cool headphones to listen to some music while you're focusing on the important work. So just go to electric.ai/mpu. That's electric.ai/mpu. Go there now, get your free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones and schedule a meeting. Thanks, Electric, for all of your support of the Mac Power Users.
2: So, Allison, we like to wrap up these workflow shows with guests talking about some favorite apps or services that we maybe didn't get to mention during the show. They can be on the Mac, they can be mobile, uh, just something that you find sparks joy in your workflow or in life.
1: Well, one of the apps I want to talk about is called Folga, um, it's a, it's an app for creating tutorial guides with screenshots, text annotations, and then allows you to create uh, beautiful documentation. Now, I was a big fan of a tool called uh, ScreenSteps, which they then later on spawned into something called Clarify, and I loved it so much I did ads for them. And uh, they eventually abandoned it. At $40, it just wasn't uh, a sustainable business market. And so that was more for the home users. So they fo- Blue Mango Learning focuses on the businesses, and, and that works great. But in the intervening years, there have been a few companies who've tried to fill the spot left by Clarify. There was one called Stepshots Guides, but they've disconnect- dis- uh, discontinued it. And out of the blue came a, a company or a product called Folga, and it's written by a guy named um, Alexis Srebreni. I have trouble pronouncing his name. Um, he's a, a Ukrainian developer, and he is, I am not joking, the most excited developer I have ever met about people telling him what they think doesn't work right, and they want to work differently in his software. And I've got emails I can send you that show him going, oh, my gosh, this is wonderful. Thank you for telling me this doesn't work right. It's like, really? So it's a young app. Uh, it's a couple of years old, and he's just developing it better and better and better. It is an Electron app, and it does have some interface things that are very non-Mac app. Uh, but he's he's working on those things. Like right now, the the settings sort of changes the whole window instead of being its own separate window that opens up. And he's gonna he's gonna change that. Um, but it, the annotation tools are great. The ability to take a whole bunch of screenshots one after another as you're going through a workflow, you know, you you click this button, take a screenshot, click this button, take a screenshot, and if you do that, you keep yourself in the flow of what you're trying to teach, and then you can go back and do the annotations. And the annotations are great. It's got a great blur tool. It's got a magnify tool. You know, arrows and boxes and text and all that kind of stuff. Numbered bullets, numbered buttons, so you can say do this, this, and this in this order. Um, and then the text stuff you can do—it's—it's—it's it's, it's huge. I mean, it's got all the HTML elements like like headings and quotes and blo- uh, um, uh, code blocks, and you can even embed videos within those documents. And then the export options—you've got PDF and Word and PowerPoint if you want to do something like that. I disagree with that on religious means, but um, but there's also an eight, rich HTML export. Where you can post it online as a single file, or give it to someone as a single file, and it's a beautiful export of your document in a in a web interface. Um, it's it's really great, and it's a, it's a one time cost. I want to say seventy dollars. I think but uh, it's one time
0: sixty euros for a personal license, hundred dollars for business, and it's a lifetime license. That's very reasonable for software like this.
1: Yeah, and part of that's why I, I brought up the um, the point that at forty dollars it wasn't. Um, Uh, It wasn't tenable. It's $70 U.S. for a personal license, 60 euro. Um, They've got academic discounts. There's a free version. You can have uh, three guides and see how it works and see if it's something you want to use. Um, Super enthusiastic about this developer. and uh, Plus, he's from Ukraine, and he just came back from bringing his parents home. So he lives in Germany now, but he just went and got his parents. He responded to me while he was doing that. That's how responsive this guy is. Wow.
0: Yeah. Unbelievable,
2: yeah. yeah. Anything else we think we should touch on?
1: And, and the other tool that I really enjoy, and it's something probably a lot of people have have used before, is Visual Studio Code. That's where I'm doing my programming now, and uh, it's from Microsoft. It's a it's a fabulous code editor. It's got a rich plugin architecture. I'm learning about using linters, and those are those are uh, plugins that you can add to it. And um, it's just, it's just delightful. Uh, Bart and I do, uh, Bart Bouchatz is my partner in crime for programming by stealth. And uh, we uh, work together on a lot of other projects. And we've started doing everything in Git. And I use uh, Visual Studio Code, even when we're doing just pure text files, like he does a security bit segment and we do it all through Git. And I do it in uh, Visual Studio Code and that makes it, uh,
0: it's, it's really useful. And I think it's a great app it's free. What kind of programming are you doing these days?
1: We started with HTML and CSS, and we worked our way through JavaScript. And uh, now we're fixing to make a plan to actually edit or recreate Bart's amazing password generation tool. It's currently at xkpasswd.net and we're going to do uh modules for that and bring it forward in technology. So he's he's basically tricked the audience into working for him and uh and so we're going to use modern tools. Right now it's basically end of life because it's done in perl and it uses a bunch of libraries that are not being uh uh advancing. Maintained. Yeah. Yeah, but x uh xkpasswd.net is a fabulous tool for creating long uh complex but memorable uh passwords.
0: Nice. What about on your phone? What's your favorite app on your home screen? Ooh, Telegram. I am a right.
1: big old crazy Telegram fan. Uh, it's, in my opinion, it's my, it's definitely my favorite messaging app. Uh, it supports Markdown. It supports code blocks. It uh, is cross-platform. You never have a blue bubble, green bubble problem. It, has, uh, it updates instantaneously on every device you have. And I know at least 40% of your audience is saying, yeah, but the security is not as good as signal. Absolutely a fact, true. It's end-to-end encryption only if you do a private chat. So if you want to, just do private chats and you're you're golden. But the uh, the encryption algorithm is is homegrown. It's not standard and people can't see inside it. So a lot of people don't trust it. But Signal, I don't favor at all because it doesn't do Markdown. It doesn't do any rich text. It can't do code blocks. It doesn't sync seamlessly across my devices. So uh, Telegram is where I've moved all of my family and friends.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Well, Allison, it's so good to, to check in with you and hear about you and Steve and all the cool stuff you're doing over at pod feet. And, uh, I'm, I'm glad that, uh, that you are still making that show and still getting it out every Sunday.
1: You bet. As long as, uh, as long as my body allows me to, I will keep doing it. as long as I got voice.
0: Yeah. And I promise we're not going to wait for another 635 episodes before we have you back.
1: <laughs> Maybe like, 350 or so?
0: Cut it in half? Well, we could try for that, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) You heard it here. All right. Well, the funny thing about me and Allison is we've been friends for, I don't know, 20 years. It's been a long time. Yeah. And uh, she lives about an hour from me, and we only see each other at places like Mac stock, Mac world. We only see each other after both of us get on airplanes. We never actually meet them. <laughs> it's like 30 miles. I drive past your house on the way to San Diego. Yeah, I think we're going to have to fix that at some point. But either way, uh, thanks for coming on. Allison, where can people find you?
1: Well, the best place is podfeet.com and you can find me on Twitter at podfeet. You will not find me on Facebook. You won't find me on Instagram. You won't find me on WhatsApp. But you can find me. Uh, we have a, a Slack group that's fantastic for the show. podfee.com slash slack and uh, I hope you come join us sometime.
0: All right, and I want to thank our sponsors. That's Text Expander, One Password, Indeed, and Electric. We are the Mac Power Users. You can find us over at Relay.fm/mpu. And we'll see you next time.